Ah, <laughs> oh, you missed it by that yeah, much. See, that's it. That's I it. I tried. So close. So close. Welcome to the Dresden Files podcast, brought to you by the Broken Jars Network. Today we're talking about Dresden Files. Thank talking. You. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be new part Hold one on. of discussion of Turncoat. Inarguably, yeah. uh, absolutely, objectively, the best book in the series. Actually, not true at all. Not <laughs> yeah, that's true. I love the book. Don't get me wrong, but like, no, ow. Oh, no. okay. I really like it. So we are trying to enforce some kind of structure. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? That's what professional podcasts do. Well, professional podcasts don't have the ability to mute each other, so this is going to go great. Um, Thanks for reminding us about shut that. Up. I'm talking now. Mute everyone. Damn. So we're only going to do the first half of the book, which we decided is through chapter 27, if you're paying attention to chapters. And then part two is going to be everything else. We'll and, see how this goes. Right. I mean, should we spoil what's in chapter 27 or are we just going to leave them hanging until we actually get to that part in the time? I line? thought that was more fun. Ooh. Okay. I'm just making sure, you know, because who really commits to watching. Or see who comments down below with the timestamp. And then they just skip to the end, they find out. Or you just look at your own copy of the book. It, right. I thought most people have copies. That was That's the easiest probably. way of doing it. <laughs> So you just got time to get up and go find the book and thumb through it. Everybody should have their materials before class gets started. Like, come on. No? Okay. No, no, I got it. I liked it. <laughs> so, yeah. You're... Anyway. Uh, who's, who's, doing, uh, who's doing news? Oh, Indeed. he's on... What, what chapter is he on? Because that's 56. the only thing anything. 56. He's up to chapter 56. So who's out of the betting pool now? Pretty so much everyone who thought that it was going to be less than this. Right, yeah. Which is it's, most people. What What did we decide 52 was the previous record? Is that what it was? or Because it was in the 50s, I thought. So right. he's, right. Living up, he's living up more and more to the prophecy that Justin puts it, that everything happens in peace talks. Only yeah. about 15 more chapters. And I mean, the last time I made a guess, I said somewhere between 54 and 57, and that's soon to be blown up, too. I think I, I, I'm sticking to 61. It's fine. I mean, I know, I know that mine's ridiculous, and I know it could be even more ridiculous, but, you know, like, I, it's going to be funny if he, if he does something like, you know, 69 for the meme, and then, you know, the epilogue. And I'm like, I'm going to count it at 70. <laughs> so... You know, like slips uh, Christmas, you know, Christmas Eve in there or something to get it. Yeah, Christmas Eve as far as peace talks, basically, right? Like, yeah, for sure. If you want to hit 70, at least it was. With with two chapters going at once to the uh, to the uh, beta readers, I figured that it's it might be a thing. Not that this, I don't know how much this really matters. How, it might be a thing where there's a quick chapter where it's the post-action, starting the denouement, where it's, you know, and then I cried, or something. Ch the next chapter hits right away, yeah, or something like that. Chapters are, are generally in that two to three thousand range over the course of a lot mm -hmm. of books. So I, I don't think he would be doing uh, shorter chapters to get a higher chapter number, but he might be doing the scene sequel thing, which he talks about a lot. Of there's the action, there's the recovery, and he might be doing right. that as one gigantic chunk. He might, he might, but with two chapters, but. Or maybe divvy it up in chapters afterward. Yeah, it's I think it's anything's possible. 
or he's just, you know, doing a dry run for what he said the uh, BAT is going to be, which are the big door-stopping capstone books, and this is just a, a trial run. It's going to be 80 chapters. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten them all on audiobook, so I'm not sure about the thickness increase, but aren't they already pretty thick? Well, then yours is going to be on a cassette instead of the CD. <laughs> right. Well, and... And I was thinking about it. You were talking about like the chapters and doing like quick chapters. Like I, I want to say he's he's mentioned before that he mostly he doesn't care. Like yeah. he doesn't care how long they are or anything like that. It's about you know cutting the scenes. Yeah, he, he's not one of those guys that's just like, well, fuck it. it that's the chapter, you know. Right. So, but as his habit seems to be is that they're generally somewhere from between two to three thousand words, and sure. that is generally a full scene. Mm -hmm. So it, well, it's an easy way of thinking of it. I disagree with that though too, because I, I remember not being able to put down skin game. Like I remember everything being like, fuck, I gotta see what's next. Fuck, I gotta see what's next. You know, Which means he got that he's getting very enough. good at it, but. Yes, exactly. He's, he's doing a lot better with the little, the little cliffhangers, you know? Mm -hmm. And then finally it was just like, okay, I cannot know this until tomorrow or whatever, you know, and go do something else, but. Yeah, so so that's the thing too. Like, assuming his you know his mo hasn't completely flipped, like I don't know. So it'll be fun though. All right, turncoat. Yeah. What about it? Yeah, turncoat. Headaches. One of one of the top three, three top three books in the. Some would even argue top four. Not even top yeah. three. What? Not even in your top three? All right. Well, that's that's a little much. Yeah. Well, okay. And I mean, the top three stretching it. I mean, you've got Deadbeat, you've got Changes, you've got Skin Game that I would put in there somewhere as well. I but feel like Cold Days has to be up there too. Cold Days is just an awesome book. It's, so it's, it's like really good. Eh, people I, can make an argument for proving guilty, and uh, right. I think also. And Small Favor is really fun. It's like at I this point, like, it's so hard to choose which one is better than the other. No, yeah, it's well. It's like your episodes of Firefly, right? You only got fourteen to choose from, so they're all your favorites. And then you just—if one's got to win, you can only have one best friend. Then this is what we're gonna do. But uh, you know, like I—I I like proving guilty a lot. Uh, I feel like that's where he started to get. You know, like for me, a lot of it—it's the references, right? And proving guilty just lends itself to the movie references and pop culture and just all of this stuff. So that's one of the high points, obviously. You know, the book overall is great. Turncoat, though, like, Turncoat's the one that I see being an action movie. Like, get, you know, take it back 20 or 30 years, get somebody ridiculous that has no business playing Harry, but because he's famous. So you got Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Harry, and half the movie you're like, what the fuck is he even saying? But this is great. But, you know, like, and it'll it'll be better when we get to the actual action-y bits, right? But there's just so many separate one-liners, and as soon as you hit the island, it's just like a one-stop, you know, action sequence. So, um, Turncoat's definitely up there for me, but... I, I could see Bill Gibson. Bill Gibson is here. Sure. Before he was crazy and, you know, whatever yeah, else. So oh, That uh, implies he was always crazy. You just didn't know it. Okay, before actually, we knew he was crazy. Maybe he's the right kind of crazy to play Harry. Yeah, this this one really is, it starts off right in the middle, right, with uh, the very first thing that happens uh, being uh, the, the worst character in the series up until this point, barging in and demanding or uh, requesting help. Well, I think, I think Morgan, uh, this book made me look at Morgan in a whole new light. 
Right. Sure. So he's been an antagonist. Yes, Not that he's but, a bad character, he's an antagonist. Well, I think he was a bad character in his first two appearances. Just not oh, he's bad. worse than Marcone. He's worse than like it's, you're conflating <laughs> bad guys with bad <laughs> characters <laughs> and antagonists. In his appearances, he was badly written. Is what I would be saying. Really? I think really? it was badly written. Uh, it was just kind of he was an antagonist, and there wasn't much else to him. And there wasn't. Uh, he was. I've, he was doing stupid things. He followed I've, bad logic. Uh, I feel like, which, like the first time we see him, I think he's he's fine. He seems like an interesting character with some somewhat complex motives. He's he's like he saves Harry, even though he hates Harry. It's that's interesting. Right. Uh, and, and then the next one, I feel like, was like out of pace of how I saw him in book one and how he is in the other book. I, I, it just felt wrong that Morgan tried it's, to Harry, but that's what happened. So it's easy. Here's your motivation. You're a dick. Go. Well, Come exactly. On, that's not, and I don't care to read that. It's just I want to. I want to. I don't want. So don't have to be an Orson Scott card protagonist or antagonist. Everyone's a super genius and nobody's stupid. But I, I like I like people making mistakes. But this didn't come off as a mistake. It just come came off as being uh, not just petty and vindictive, but just flat. This Bad. is what I do now in the story. <laughs> so, but even, no, he, even he, in this book, he does really well. But even in Deadbeat, you didn't get the whole like Harry's epiphany and like holy shit, I totally understand Morgan and that yeah. shot for you. The you way that like, he like, really actually guys. didn't want to he's kill Molly. There, like, yeah, and he's sitting over there wringing his shirt when he gets awarded the medal, and he's like, "What the fuck right. did you do? I almost took out the Red King, bitch!" You know, yeah, like so. So proving guilty that was a great moment. This this develops a full character. Uh, I, I would say that the first two appearances, especially when he hangs up the phone uh, in this in the second appearance, it's just stupid. It's just stupid. But that's not the point. We already talked about this. <laughs> I'm trying to emphasize, underline, how as a Morgan hater, I came into this book thinking, wow, what a perfect way. Uh, I won't, No spoilers, but something happens to him at the end. Well, what a perfect way for this character. <laughs> spoiler, a perfect way to send off this great. character. We talk, we talk. We talk. We can talk all about spoilers. He's saying it because we're only doing half the book, and then we're right. not doing the halfway dies. Yeah, but <laughs> this is a retrospective like review. But you just a month. We could have kept somebody on the hook for a month, and you just ruined it. <laughs> all right, so you're you're wrong. I love you, but you're wrong. <laughs> I I hated Morgan up until this book as well. Uh, my first read through, but not because he's a flat character, but because he's a dick. Uh, you know, so, but yeah, no, it's, it's funny because I, I definitely, I've liked him more in subsequent read throughs as well. Right. Like just the whole, you gotta, you gotta look at it like, okay, so I'm trailing back into something that we swore we'd never talk about again, but you look at it in the like D and D alignment system, right? Morgan is no Morgan is the dirty side of lawful good, right? <laughs> Murphy is the Murphy's the actual paladin, and Morgan's the guy that's been on the job too long. And so <laughs> Morgan is exactly how Harry describes them. He's been a cop who's been on the job too long. Exactly. That's how he described him in, in Deadbeat. Right. But the the real point being that Morgan fucking hates Harry. Morgan thinks that Harry is a bad guy, but Morgan has never caught Harry doing something wrong enough to actually do something about it. Morgan saved him from a burning building because Morgan is a good guy and it was the right thing to do. Good. 
obviously we got the lawful part in spades. Like that's part of why I like it is that Morgan, like in the sense he's the classic dick paladin, whatever, like where he's just like, I follow the law, fuck the party, whatever. But it's really is like underneath his hard exterior, underneath everything, he was going to kill Molly because that's what he needed to do. He was there as the executioner. If you'd asked him, do you think she should die? I, he obviously says that's irrelevant, but you know, like he would not have probably followed through with that. And that says a lot about Morgan's character, I think. So, I mean, obviously you don't get that set up until much later, but you see him right. like three times in the whole series anyway, you know, so four up to this point. Okay. Four. But but basically, when the council shows up in like one other, you know. Sure, sure, so. sure. Anyway, okay. So he shows up, and he says, "You've got to help me. The wardens are after me," which is fantastic because then he just passes out, and Harry's like, "The fuck!" So <laughs> it's, it's like, "Hello, I'm still in my boxers. What the hell is going on here?" <laughs> Just imagine like opening the door, uh, Harry opening the door in his box is like a can of Coke in his hand. He's like, yeah, uh, what that? <laughs> right. And then being like, oh, Christ, help me drag him in here. Like, you know, just the whole thing. Uh, like you could just see him like it, it just seems like pick pick a sitcom, right? Like that's a cold open and it just sitting there like, do I bring him in? Do I leave him? Do I bring him in? I could just pretend he didn't even make it to the door, right? That's a thing that could happen. So, <sighs> yeah, I mean, I feel like this book, like before we get into the story and 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 what happens in the book, like we've talked about this before with some of the books where it's like, I think this is a great book, but one of the reasons why I think it might not be top three for me is that it almost feels like like too much happens, like it's almost two books. <laughs> We we say that so many times. It's probably just a staple of the series. By the yeah, this but... you're really gonna hate peace talks then, <laughs> <laughs> or the BAT, where it's gonna be literally the thickness of two books. Let Seriously. alone, you know, how are you gonna survive? Yeah, I get you though. I mean, a lot a lot happens, but I feel like this one tied it together better. I think the where you do get to see some of that is stuff with like Shag Nasty, right? Where he he really kind of is his own thing, and you know, to to try and lump him in with the shenanigans of everything else going on, you know, it's kind of like the nightmare, right? Like maybe that's one of the defining parts of the series is that you have your A plot and your B villain. And the B villain always feels like you could just pull him off into his own thing and make him his book. So, you know, starting with uh, Grave Peril, you've got the Nightmare, um, you know, on and on and on and on. This one, Shag Nasty, could have easily been his own piece of it. And it's just like, he's the biggest, scariest damn thing Harry's fought almost still to date. You know, Sans, Nicodemus, and a few other notables, obviously. But, like, you get to the end, like, Harry doesn't even necessarily beat the guy. And... Even still, though, he kind of gets ignored for a big part of the end fight. And I mean, spoilers, we're not talking about that. But it's just like he's mostly a force of nature running around and, you know, eating Kirby and, you know, stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I understand. It's just and I get and, and it is it, it hangs together pr like pretty well The in this one, whereas some of them have been more jarring. But it's just like. It is one of those books where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is also this book. Right. 
Well, that's because Harry was smart in this book and he outsourced his detective work to, like yeah. halfway through. <laughs> that too. That's and that's fun. Some of it, and, and it let let you have a an end game prep scene when a lot of the books <laughs> tend to have some prep scenes only at the beginning, and then he just kind of hand waves the prep uh, when you're building up to the final action. Whereas this one, it's that. Oh well, we're not even there yet. <laughs> not right. even there yet. All right, so he gets Morgan. He gets him inside. He he gets Butters to come help patch him up. Uh, Butters doing his McCoy impression of "God damn it, I can't fix dead people." Right, <laughs> and then, you know, uh, Dresden whining that he's not a nurse, and he's like, "Well, I'm not a doctor, so fucking wash your hands," you know. So that <laughs> was great. Yeah, so you you get that. He goes out for supplies, and that's when the Nagloshi jumps him the first time. Am I skipping yeah, something? Yeah, he went to talk to Thomas to get Justine involved, picked up right. the supplies that he kept with Thomas, and driving back is when he realized that something was following him, opened up his sight, saw Shagnasty, and became a dribbling mess. Right, which which is great because... Uh, my, my notes here, it's like, wait a minute, you know, like... Uh, did I was like, does Dresden recognize the high prime number from like uh, um, Christmas Eve because he spends time calculating primes here? And then I'm like, no, wait, he just mashed his psyche into the memory over and over again until he was better. Like, he, you know, because it's like he uses the primes as like a coping mechanism to like get to a quiet place. But then he's very detailed. Like he's like that. I just looked at it and again and again for like eight hours until you know, he was just exhausted and it didn't bother him anymore. And it's it just crazy. One of our helpful wizards behind the scenes put in their own notes and they noted that everything under the site in Chicago is glowing. But in the short story Day Off, the only thing that doesn't look weird is Mr. Right, because cats. Yeah, I guess, yeah. But I mean, doesn't have any of his own ethereal anything that shows in the site, he's just a normal cat versus everything else that Harry describes in Chicago is neon rave colors. The part, yeah, the part that you're missing is that cats always look weird, but we're just used to how they look. So when you use the site, they just look like what they look like because cats, <laughs> I don't know. So- You could make that into something, but it's probably an inconsistency. No. Okay. No. He, he I will wrote, not. I don't pee all of your head cannon. It's your head cannon. It's fine. <laughs> he, he deliberately wrote that uh, Mister doesn't look like anything. How is that a mistake? It, I mean, we haven't really had him look at other. You know, like I don't think he's ever looked at like a bird and then seen something extra radiating off of it. You know, a city scene makes sense. They talk right. about how there's the energy because of what a city represents and this, that, and the other thing. A right. cat sitting there doing nothing might, you know, full of personal significance, right? The the whole thing in the Dresden Files is how the uh, you know uh, personal choice and all this uh, creates uh, creates a, a sub world of significance that is visible only to the site. There's a whole bunch of other stuff going on too. The things that are hidden are revealed. The cats have nothing to hide. Cats don't hide. Maybe. I mean, with take, taking the Mr. Thing away from it, like the whole Chicago thing to me is just like, guess what? Millions of people are here radiating their emotions and whatever other right. frustrations. That's probably a big part of what he saw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah like, right, right. So 
Uh, the, and yes, I think the Mr. Thing is just one of those like magic and let's draw attention to this and then we're never going to explain it like ever, ever. So And realize yeah. that Mr.'s not like a hiding mock or a fairy or anything. You know, he looked at sure. him and he's not anything. Deal with yeah. it. Right. Well, I mean, he is the sire of an entire race, but whatever, you know. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but that's a different world. <laughs> right. Or it's the count. same world in the far future. Yeah, he refused to answer whether it's a slant world because it's more fun that way. Right. He's it's got a, time. A, I haven't I haven't read it. It's a steampunky kind of world, he's right? Been, he's been, all the wizards are dead. He's been skyping with Brendan like once a week. Now he's like, Here's how you do it. No, wizards wizards in this one are much different and awesome. Um like it it, it does a little bit more harken back into the craziness that you get out of like other medieval stories and whatever in a way. Like um, their magic takes a toll on them mentally, uh, which I think is a lot of fun. But I got to say, like, th this is probably the only steampunk novel that I read. And, like, I kind of like the aesthetics of the genre. Uh, you read but that vampire series book you recommended for me. That's steampunk. Okay. I read this one first. So, Sorry. yes, you're you're right. You're That was also weird, though. <laughs> so, it was good. It was good, by the way. Aeronauts Windless is better. So I'm just yeah. going to say it. The only thing that got me through the vampire, what, what I wanted to say diaries. What was it? The vampire. I don't remember. Or whatever. Something. I don't remember. Oh, exactly. yeah. Vampire, vampire. With the vampire? Uh, Marster no. narrated it. So that was what got mostly got me into it and through it. So, but yeah. Anyway. So that was a far flung boomerang coming all the way back. So Harry sees Shag Nasty. He goes to enlist help of the alphas just by proxy as, mm -hmm. as much as anything. And we needed an excuse to get them into it. Um, he goes and smashes his you know, psyche into a terrible, terrible memory for hours and hours. And then he comes to, and they go decide to go chase the thing down in the parking lot. And then Kirby gets killed and Andy almost gets killed. Well, not quite just chasing no. them down. It was haunting them. Right. And deliberately playing with them. Yeah, they but, were they were out making seeing if they could catch it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Stupidly. Well, <laughs> they've never exactly been. Kirby wasn't on the way there, holding the cell phone, getting he, contact. He, he was already the there, uh, um, right. and trying to help keep watch and stuff. But and I, mm. this is one of the times that the fault kind of lies with Harry because he didn't tell them how bad it was. Obviously, at that point, he couldn't when right. he was dealing with uh, seeing Shaq Nasty, but there is a reason he finally opened up to them about everything, and this is part of it. It's like just the same thing that happened with Murphy, is sure. he can't let them protect themselves unless he tells them everything. And the result is Andy almost dies, Kirby does die. Fair enough. I like it. Okay. One of the things I found, uh, well, are we there at the uh, the hospital scene yet? Are we jumping into that? Or are we going right. to talk about the fight yet? We we can, exactly uh, so the fight so. first, and then okay, and then I think the trip to zero, if I remember right. Well, no. After this, he goes to Edinburgh. After after Kirby dies and everything, he he goes to um. He goes to he zero first. by the spiders. And he goes to zero first. Oh yeah, you're right. So what, right, what's right. this other fight that mixes in here? Because I remember With Madeline, here. I guess, right? With yeah, zero, zero, and Madeline. I remember, but was there something before that? I mean, they fought Shag Nasty briefly. He made it. He managed to surprise it enough to make it go away, but that was it. Sure. Right. Right. 
Uh, well, I guess what I was going to say is kind of relevant to uh, what we're talking about with Harry uh, seeing that Billy is no longer Billy, right? Uh, that he's not just some some fat college kid. He's kind of a someone to take seriously in his own right and someone he should trust and open up to. Uh, I, I think what's really powerful in this is that uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that's going on in this book in particular with uh, dialogue and characters being uh, a lot of the characterization being done through the dialogue and a lot of the uh, with the character interactions and of course in the audiobook masters masters performance adds a lot to it but even without that reading through it because I read through a lot before I listened to the audiobook uh, there's a lot in here with uh, uh, the way characters are talking about themselves and to each other, which is revelatory of what they're going through and uh, what they want and how they're getting there and how they're changing. And I think this conversation with Billy, but then also the conversation with Butters earlier, right? Uh, the kind of snappiness, snarkiness, and the uh, the readiness to still help out with the meatball surgery at the very beginning, despite his better instincts. But immediate readiness to do that is kind of talking it's kind of revelatory of not just what they went through in the novels but in that middle space where we didn't see butters what he is how he's developed his character since we last saw him you know that's fair. he's, he's, he's not kind of this Christian. he's the he's the he's a local fake doctor who this frustrating wizard keeps coming to with under the table surgeries so he's a real doctor <laughs> he's just not a medical doctor Okay, yes. <laughs> I mean, Scotty would be a doctor. He's just not, you know, that kind of doctor. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I get you. And I mean, thinking about the Butters conversation, because I was going to ask you about examples, but Butters stands up to Harry, you know, instead of mm -hmm. just like stammering and muttering and saying, oh, okay, you know, so it does show some growth there. Yeah, this is the best, best uh, character development Butters ever gets is in that conversation. I really see him this time. Yeah, That's pretty much it. Later. <sighs> so from the Kirby thing, they go to zero. Right? Pretty much. There was a little bit of a conversation between Harry and Morgan about skinwalkers when uh, Morgan drops that he nuked one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like great in passing PS the White Council does this because, I mean, we, we find out more about that, about potentially being how they took out Kemmler, too, right? So, Well, there's a couple of different ideas on that. One, that that was his death curse. One, that that was just the combined energy of all of them doing some sort of thing. Two or three, that it was, yeah, they used the event that they knew was going to be there, too, because it's conventional weaponry, and that's A-OK -okay for killing. <laughs> Right. Well, I just I just like the fact that it's yeah like an, a non-conventional idea and that they might have used it twice, making it practically doctrine at that point. You know, like Morgan's like, hey, this one time I took out a, uh, a skinwalker like this. They're like, maybe we should talk to the Russians. Like, uh, if anybody's not following the conversation there, you know, there, I guess it's a theory. Uh, there had been a theory that the death of like Kemmler's final death. Uh, lines up conspicuously with the detonation of the Sarbamba. And I believe, I, I, maybe I'm filling this in and mixing it with other Q&As, but I believe Jim's response to that was, you read too much. 
Yeah, uh, you know, so <laughs> which which is one of his classics, you know, when it's like you might be onto something. So mm -hmm. Halloween nineteen sixty one. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Not that, that and, would have any special significance or anything. Definitely not. So there was the other tidbit of Harry trying to find information and calling around to the paranet and seeing that wardens are popping up in odd areas that don't make sense. The wild goose chase, and so it's the the inkling hint of how Morgan has uh, kept the wardens off his trail. Also, that wardens are mushrooms. So yes, yeah, that's actually the second thing I notice in this read through is how many how many times, like a good mystery novel, like a good whodunit, uh, there are so many hints about things that are later to be revealed in the book. It's not quite to the point where you can guess who the perpetrator is, how he did it, and what his motives are. But it's to the point where once you read the ending, everything you read uh, throughout the rest of the book makes complete sense. Uh, let, despite the identity of the uh, you know the identity of the killer, how he messed with everyone's minds with the uh, the signing documents and everything, um, and the. Uh, how how uh, Morgan was tracked. All this stuff is hinted at. Even the conversations he has about uh, the early conversation he has with Morgan. I think at roughly this point of the book, where uh, uh, is it possible? Oh, might have been McCoy, but uh, conversation he had. Is it possible to just mess with somebody's mind? Oh no, not at that age. You know? Right. That was with McCoy just, at Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. and just little little drops. Yeah, for stuff like right. that. That's all going to make everything make sense. Sense later, like you said. Yeah, that's great. Next is zero, which is fun in its own way. Right. Wow. P.S. The White Court run a, a sex club. Uh, I was going to say nightclub, but that really doesn't sell it. It's literally a sex club. Sex and club doesn't really sell it. No. True. Orgy club. Yeah. So, Orgy something. Club's closer. Uh, no, it's like Harry said, zero inhibition, zero restraint, zero fulfillment, or whatever. Or what the line. Right. Right. Thomas shows up and he's practically royalty and he gets to just do the vampire brooding thing because, you know, that's what they expect out of him. And <laughs> Madeline shows up. Go ahead. I was going to say, you got to appreciate how him putting on his game face for zero is just taking his shirt off. Yeah. Well, that and just staring everybody down, right? Right. He did that with, yes, he did that with the guard, but he's like, you know, Harry, just follow my lead and just, he takes his shirt off and that's, that's it. With a body yeah, like that, though. That's I mean. all you need. And Harry wearing a leather duster is good enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, there is a uniform, but leather is in and so is skin. So, yeah. Yeah, so he, he shows up, stares down the guard. They go talk to Justine. Um, you know, she she's in the rubber suit this time. Yeah, right? like that white as rubber cover as she possibly can. Right. Chopsticks uh, in here. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, you're, you're apparently you're noting the chopsticks, so you want to give the full graphic thing. I was just going to be like, so then he beats her to death with a chair, and we move on. But go yeah. ahead. You know, well, well, when Madeline comes in and she starts getting pissy at Thomas and it starts poaching Justine, being able to pin her to the ground with chopsticks is great. Right. And breaking yeah. a metal chair over her head, which was yeah. impressive. Which is also just really fun that Thomas shows that he doesn't care about the cat's pawing anymore. He's just, get your hands off my lady. Well, and specifically with Madeline, right? Like, I think it was a complete lack of respect for Madeline in general. And that so, 
Yeah, you know, they make, uh, because he straight up is like, leave now or I will beat you to death with my bare hands. And they're like, you would dare? And it's like, yes, I know. It's not very couth or anything like that, but fuck off entirely. I cannot make it more plain. And then he does, you know. So Everyone has so it's little respect for her. Siblings, right? Like, he has no respect for them. Well, but for her, I mean, she's the one who's got just all out in the open feeds yeah, but the brother too right like well, yeah they were twins and, and yeah. they just in different ways not respectable and it's uh, to me it's like magical is more slime where like um madeline for whatever reason madeline and mave seem like very similar like almost like the same character to me other than one's a white core vampire and one's like the winter lady but it's just like i could i could cast the same gal for for them in my mind, you know, because they've just got the same sleazy, stupid bullshit. Nobody's got time for this, you know, type of characterization. Well, they've uh, got the, um, they're both under the umbrella of, you know, that entitled, entitled bitch, basically, mm -hmm. you know, the world is theirs and they can do whatever they want. And everyone else is like, no, you're not that hot shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But just, I, yeah, Thomas is just completely like, I just don't care and I don't have time for this. So moving on, you know, which I thought was a great description. So he hits her with a chair, pins her to the ground with the, the chopsticks, and then they leave. And see. No, Justine oh. gives her a little uh, love kiss. On yeah. the, oh, okay. Or That's brushes right. her with the hair. Um, because family shares. Yep. Right. Yeah, fun moment. And, and then Harry feels bad of calling her Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> he feels bad, but doesn't really feel bad. Yeah. And then he goes outside and he talks with, uh, you know, Andreas' you? ship. My best girl. Yeah, with Stacy. Oh <laughs> yes, Anastasia. One one can only assume that you used that nickname as a. <laughs> as In a order code. to determine I was the real. <laughs> right, Anastasia. Anastasia. Yeah. Yeah, as she almost like cuts and or shoots him. So, yeah. Probably would have been fair. Right. So he lies to her and says, you don't know what's going on. Or, well, he, he actually, he, he plays, he takes umbrage with her not telling him anything. Right. Um, and then she uh, basically tells him that if he wants more info, he's going to need to go to HQ. Yeah. And that McCoy was the reason that she didn't tell him. But then, like, when they bring up Morgan is like running to Harry for help, and Harry says, "That's crazy." Yeah, that would yeah. Be crazy. <laughs> Boy, you're gonna have to keep that a lot tighter than the chest. <laughs> so. Which, which of course comes up later too with, uh, uh, why, what, when when she confronts him on the lie, that's wonderful. Yeah, right. Um, but pretty much after this, I think he does go to Edinburgh. Well, he um, he gets Morgan first. Yeah, they go they go to the uh, they go to the safe house first. Right. No, 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 no. First, he comes home, and Molly is being held at is a, is a sword point yet, or is not this this one? So, I think Mouse is sitting on her because okay. it's, not, it's not sword yet. Yeah, no. sword points when she messes with um. When with, it's all when sword point is when Lucio barges in, I think. Uh, yeah. But at this point, because she was about to attack him, Mouse just sat on her. No, wait, I think, I, yeah, anyway, so it, I may be muddling details, but I, I want to say Morgan got the sword cane this time. Mouse sat on Morgan, you know, to like, because I, 
I thought yeah. I thought he pushed Morgan back to the ground, like Morgan tried to get up or something. And at this point, I think Morgan is just being himself, and Molly is being. Sad. Oh yeah, it was Morgan was off the bed, his wounded leg in front of him. He was mm -hmm. glaring at Molly. Molly was on the floor because um, Mouse was more or less laying on top of her. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah the so sword is the threat when um, when she's. Um, he shot Mouse, and that's later on when she was looking in in Stacy's head. Yeah, that's that's right. the third one. That's the third one. Okay, so we haven't even gotten to that point. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, you get this thing, and you know, spoilers. It escalates later, but yeah. So Molly just walks into the into the house, you know, into into Harry's place uh, because she was supposed to be doing potions. And Harry's hiding a fugitive, and that fugitive also was at one point going to cut her head off because she's a warlock. So, you know, I i mean, yes, Morgan's a dick, but I can kind of see where he's coming from for this one. Um, so then they load him up, take him to the safe house, which is just like, what, a 10 by 5 storage unit, practically. Um, yeah. You know, they, they talk about the Faraday cage and the magical circle and opening ways to the never-never and all these plans that are totally not going to be necessary in about a chapter. Uh, and then Harry takes a stroll down the street into the never, never. Yeah. And it's by a group. I mean, a spider, I mean, a whole bunch of spiders. Mandling. Right. Yeah. I, I love it. They're like, you, you may not be a wizard. Any man can hold any stick. That doesn't make you a wizard. He's like, fucking really? <laughs> so, there was I'm, in, little... I'm in Never Never. Hello? <laughs> right. <laughs> there was a little tidbit before they went to the storage unit that Harry asked Morgan, how did your teacher teach you yeah. shields? It's yeah. like, well, she threw stones at me because yeah. that's how hardcore she was to Morgan. P.S. Lucio was yeah. his teacher. So, yeah. <laughs> and he still has hots for teacher. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. That might tell you something else important about Morgan's personality. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> so Harry goes, gets jumped by spiders, smushes one of them. They clean up. Uh, it's pretty good dialogue and everything like that. Then he gets to go talk to Steed. Um, I forgot a little bit more. Oh, no. The, there is no traitor moment. Oh, yes. Yeah, there is oh, no yes. black The instant re reflect. There is no black council. I was like, right. really? Explain what happened to you then. Right. Yeah, just one of those classic like, I, but it's great because he's spent so long denying it that it's just reflex. Like, it just comes out as pure reflex. So, right. Um, Another so, example where so there is some dialogue. Yeah, obviously there is a black council because you've had it brought up enough independently that you just reflexively denied it. And his and, own situation just like, Ugh. right. To me though, it's also interesting because like as much as Morgan is terrible and everybody gives him shit, right? Like you'd think that there would be a faction inside the white council that would go McCarthy, right? Like that they'd start trying to hunt somebody down out them as a sympathizer or anything. Oh, that's exactly what they're trying to stop, I suppose. Right. right. Well, that's what Injun Joe is, right? So, but, but it just, but, there's not, there isn't a faction saying, let's do this. In a way, Harry becomes that because, you know, Harry knows that something's afoot, but Harry's not like throwing baseless accusations. He's, you know, he actually knows. But that, that's what Morgan says. The council is not divided because the moment we turn upon another, we are finished. It's like right. they're exactly trying to stop a McCarthy scare 
into their own ranks of burning everyone. Sure, sure. Okay. All right, back to Steve. Okay, so he shows up, talks to Steve, I mean Chandler. Chandler <laughs> is the, the sharpest looking wizard uh, because everybody else has got, you know, their fashion sense from like the 1400s and his is a little bit more updated to like the 1700s. Well, um, and he's British. Right. So. Really, really great dialogue there, you know, about uh, stiff upper lip and uh, hardy British breeding, something like that. Not a uh, ton of British fortitude, I think it was. Yes, yes, there you go. Um, and, you know, Harry goes inside and basically we're going to see a bunch of stuff that totally doesn't become important right at the end. Uh, Harry sees wards that have lasted for centuries that could stop, you know, most most things short of a little godling. Uh, Harry walks past multiple checkpoints full of young wizards or young wardens. Uh, with this their is going to be important later. No, it's not. I swear. Uh, so <laughs> the, the little dogs and everything like that, um, they're, you know, um, artifices. Uh, and then he, he starts querying. So it was the, it was the Asian warden who was in proven guilty, right? No, He's, summer night. Oh, it was summer night. Okay. Um, yeah, because he was half frozen by Mab. It's like you have to right. talk to her emissary, and then Harry is like, oh, fuck. Right. In this one, he has the good fortune to have his leg wounded. Um, so he gets named so. Lucky. <laughs> right. Right. Well, he has um, speed where everybody is, so he just heads for the war room when he first right. goes in. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was just a little out of order. Real, real quick, though. What's interesting about when he asks, I was waiting for this to be brought up. When he asks, "What were uh, where are all the main wizards? What where do I go to talk to them?" and he he rattles off the five four or five locations, and my immediate thought was, "You know what? Jim Butcher must have been a great DM because this is exactly how you do this." You know, <laughs> well, there's the so and so at the such and such, and there's so and so at the such and such, and that's yeah. kind of how it was listed. There's uh, uh, Ebenezer McCoy in the war room, and Jim Joe's making do preparation. Uh, I was gonna say maybe he just played around around here somewhere, even ancient Mai somewhere, but we never see ancient Mai. As if that that I, I'm gonna ask him. I'm gonna ask him if that's how he was thinking of that scene when he wrote it. He played he a is. lot of Clue. Well, no. oh, what did he got a Clue? War, Warhammer and D and D, but you know whatever. Oh. So, mm -hmm. Wow, oh. he's mentioned Wow. True. Yeah, true. Well, so that's that's kind of how it's structured, like. The almost video game logic too, where it's just oh, here. Here is some things where you can go. Here's some structure, and we never see what ancient lies up to. But it's so wonderful. He was getting, was uh, getting the word out to the rest of the council to convene an emergency session. She was, you know, being the hey, get over here. Right, which yeah. is exactly what old Asian ladies do. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> <laughs> so how much? How out. much of a stereotype is she? Than ancient Maya. Uh, I haven't met a lot of Asian people. So. Well, I haven't met a lot of Asian <laughs> wizards, but as they go. So I maybe it's the osteoporosis, but they're all really tiny and they're very strong willed and they tell you to get your ass over there when they want you to. And you compound that with four centuries now. Yeah. Right. Which is which is partially a function too of uh uh culturally there's a there's a lot of heavy respect paying respect to one's elders and you know. So I think it's as much of being old as anything, too. Well, that's why she's got the title of ancient. That's actually right. a title they give you when you're the oldest wizard. Right, right. So, 
Obviously, I get some deferential treatment. And uh, one, th one thing I'll notice, it is a slight spoiler. One thing I notice is whenever we meet one of these uh, these three wizards, so there's Injun Joe, Merlin, and McCoy, each one of them has been alt. There's a conversation, and it emphasizes those personal anxieties and suspicions mm -hmm. that are already there in their lives. So when Injun Joe, Injun Joe wants to keep the council together, uh, and even if it means, and he's tempted to say, even if it means uh, uh, pursuing or saying that uh, an innocent man is guilty and McCoy is kind of sagging in despair and the Merlin is being suspicious and saying you're full of machinations and Machiavellian politics. Uh, so each, and just as, just as they've been influenced by the, uh, uh, we already know that by the end they've been influenced by wizard Peabody, spoilers, spoilers, that, uh, we see in this conversation, how that has affected them concretely on a reread. Right, and they've also been influenced by their experiences with each other. They were all the hotheads, the young hotheads running around in the sure. French and Indian War together, on sure. various this opposing sides. This exacerbates this, though. I'm saying. Dude. Oh yeah, no, but it's just it's that's that's what Peabody did. He worked on the, you know with the older wizards. You can't bend them, you can't break them like that, but you can emphasize the things that are already there. Right. Right. They and already the have such a history with each other. Just in the conversation that Harry has with Ebenezer when it's describing that once they're older, as old as Morgan is, or older than that, that they're brittle and fixed in their ways, and it's much harder to do anything, and almost immediately after, Peabody comes in with things for him to sign. Right. <laughs> right. And, and Which is my other favorite thing, because you also see the mechanism. You don't know it yet, but you do. <laughs> and follow that up with, you know, just because we're on the that, top. Isn't that Chekhov's gun? Uh, some, sure. But but the the other part that I like about it skipping over just a little bit is the fact that Harry being obstinate and refusing to sign keeps him from being, <laughs> you know, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like the fact that he's just an obstinate ass is what, get, and that's why Peabody's so insistent, you know, like mm -hmm. it must be signed for because he's trying to just get him and it's in Peabody's character. Well, yeah. and, and Rashid, I mean, Chandler makes a note of saying that he's the only other wizard he sees less than him than Dresden. Right. They don't come around. So right. they didn't have a chance. You know, Gatekeeper obviously more or less knows what's up at the end. Right. And he's off gatekeeping. <laughs> gatekeeping. Yeah. Like, Presumably. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so yeah, that, that scene where he walks in, it's, it's like, I wonder who killed him and how? And in walks the murderer with the murder weapon. Right. <laughs> Immediately after. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine any other time I've ever seen that uh, in any kind of media where immediately you see who and how after the question is raised, but you don't know it yet. Watch more soap operas, dude. Seriously. I guess so. I usually do watch more soap operas. <laughs> one of That's the what this White Council drama is, is just one giant soap opera. <laughs> one of the things I thought was kind of funny is when Harry is irritated with Peabody and calls him a paper-pushing twig, Ebenezer says he's an invaluable paper-pushing <laughs> twit, and they have a conversation about bureaucromancy, but that is something that was established in Summer Night, when Peabody was there and they had the, they're trying to go down the list of who is oldest before Ebenezer becomes on the senior council. You see his eyes kind of like go blank for a second and then he pulls out the exact piece of paper that he needs. Right. Administratively. Well, he uses a, he uses a spell. They, they yeah. actually, uh, one of the guys asked Jim about this. He like puts an ink blot to his head and it, he kind of goes down the, the list. So he like taps some ink to his head, his eyes cross and he starts recalling things. Interesting. 
what my favorite part is that we actually know that Rashid is, you know, multi-class bureaucromancer later. So yeah. well, he thinks he remembers the forms. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know. He oh yeah, I mean, he's only got like two or three levels, maybe. You don't need those kind of forms at the at the gates. Right. If you're dead, you're dead. <laughs> Very rarely do they come back out at the gates. Yeah, probably not. And uh, Harry gives Ebenezer the, the hint of, I know Morgan's innocent, but we're not going to say it. And then he goes to talk to Injun Joe at the Fortier's rooms. We're going to skip over the whole, like, sparring with the Merlin thing while the Merlin's eating sandwiches. Like, he's... Well, happens after the after. Oh, does it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Injun Joe, and then Peabody comes in again. Right. Mm -hmm. And then Merlin. Yeah. Injun Joe starts doing what he's doing, then... Harry goes to talk to him, and he's like, well, my own investigation might yield this, that, and the other thing. He's like, nah, because everyone knows your biases, so if right. I figure it out, mm -hmm. right. might as well right. be gospel, because I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. True. And mm -hmm. because I'm the black sheep persecuted by the guy who, you know. Yeah. It. Which is great. Also, balls, vice. So... <laughs> All right, that was a little bit more homoerotic than I intended. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just love the whole... Yeah, exactly. Like, even, even... The fucking Merlin is even like, you know, yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> but, oh. but, yeah, so we we skipped around it, but to make sure to pull it all the way through, like, he talks to Injun Joe. Uh, he says, you know, like, what if I think he's innocent? It's like, it doesn't really matter. He's going to be guilty when it's all said and done anyway. And it's like, you'd really do that? He's like, you fucking think so. Like, I let my entire tribe die because it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I'm going to let one more guy do it, you know, uh, which is kind of interesting for Injun Joe's thing. And I, I stupidly in hindsight, but I think I never put together until this read through that he's, he's talking about like the French and Indian war again, where he just, he had to remain neutral because he's a wizard. He couldn't get involved because then somebody else might have gotten involved against him from the council. Um, you know, I just I took it as, you know, he had made a moral choice to, you know, let the the massacre of his tribe happen. And he did. But specifically because it would have caused strife with the council. Right. What, uh, what, uh, uh, what region is he from? Great Lakes. Great Lakes. Yeah. So I guess that, I guess that fits. Yeah. yeah. So just, yeah, all of that's interesting, especially because, like, I like Injun Joe a lot. I mean, obviously, he's Team Harry slash Team Ebenezer, so that helps because uh, those guys are the favorites. But but that's one of those morally dubious things where you're like, oh, you're a good guy, but that's not really a good choice, you know. So, But it's also being pushed by... Yeah. Uh, a faction by Christos. The paper pushing twit Peabody. It's sure. I was going to go a different way, probably just because we literally just watched this in the good place, but it's literally the train dilemma, right? Where he has to either pick the one innocent guy or mm -hmm. 300 other dudes, you know, or yeah. whatever. And so it's, it's literally like you're making the maybe the better choice, but ultimately there's no way to tell, right? So do you, do you choose the one guy? you know, because he's innocent and stick to that moral, or do you, you know, is it more utilitarian and you do the most good that you can by sacrificing 
somebody who in this narrow sense is innocent. I mean, Morgan's not an innocent, don't get me wrong, but, but like he didn't commit the crime he's being accused of. So. Right. And one of the things that makes Injun Joe's dilemma more interesting is that ultimately Morgan is willing to die in this position in order to carry on the farce that he was guilty, but he's running away now in order to try to find the traitor first. So they're not able to continue going. Right. Yeah, at least bring down the traitor with him. But yeah. I, I want to say that Morgan's like decision, his basis is a little muddled by the fact of who the, the actual killer is and, and some mm -hmm. of that as well. It's not entirely selfless, but... It, it, there's definitely that, but uh, he's perfectly willing to be the bad guy in this situation. Don't Batman him. Don't do it. Don't make him the hero that we need right now, but not the one we deserve. Like, come on. No, he's not. Man servant, not the notional hero. Right. Right. And then, so they Everyone. balls vice conversation with the Merlin, and then Harry gets the Morgan file from Peabody. Right. And Peabody has a moment of, my office is a bastion of tidiness. It's like, at that point, I knew he was the bad guy. And First read through, that's the bad guy. No way in hell that someone like that can be good. Wow. All right. I'm. Uh... <laughs> I'm I'm totally not a bad guy then, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the whole like you Excuse are me, a tidy person, you know, and it's just like, uh, ow. <laughs> you know? And then like, you know, did you know that you mucked up the German there? Like German is an untidy language. So. Yep. Yeah. He takes the file and he goes for his, you know, necessary sit down with Murphy. Right, yes. because she's a cop and a detective, and she might see something he doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she brings coffee and donuts. The coffee and donuts, but chicks are so hot. Right. <laughs> the the better early line though is like, let me know if anything stands out. Well, yeah, here's something. The victim was two hundred ninety seven or whatever it was. You know, it's like yeah. uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, inconsistencies. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, two seventy nine. <laughs> Oh yeah, one other thing since we're in here. So um, in this whole sequence, like Harry starts complaining about headaches, just throwing that out there because we're two books past, you know, Bonea being conceived. So I'm like, holy shit, did he set this up literally that early? Yeah. Where he starts randomly getting headaches and- Yeah, yeah I mean, headaches. that was one of the first things Butter says to him. It's like, you have a headache right now, don't you? Yeah, no, I don't, go away. Right. I don't have- I have growing pains, leave me alone. <laughs> I think you had a headache the previous book too. At Probably. the same time, it makes sense for him to have headaches because he gets hit a lot. To be fair though. <laughs> well, uh, but it's he just ha he had normal. headaches before Bonera was uh, conceived too. Also, yeah, that's why he didn't think anything of it. They were just getting worse over the years because you know he's been going through more and more. And it's not that oh I'm pregnant with a psychic baby. Yeah, but I know that literally is. I don't think about being pregnant with a psychic baby. Well, that's because you've got to have sex with something that can make you pregnant with a psychic baby first. But oh, he has. And we all know uh, not as much goes on in your head. It goes on in Harry's. So. <laughs> I mean, I did, just so we're clear, I did carry all the way through. So it didn't stop with you have to have sex with something before, you know, because I'm just giving you the benefit of the doubt. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Are you? A little bit. 
So then, then he goes to the race, right? Like he puts something together, but that's that's uh, where well, uh, Murphy actually does come up. No, with no, no. no. I, yeah, Murphy. I skipped the whole binder thing. Yeah, yeah. Murphy does have uh, a, one a best handy. twenty characters in the series shows up Woo. in the best book. Yeah, uh, darn, fine, darn. Mark Shepard. So wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you want to talk about, he gets the phone call. Right as uh, right as oh, yeah. Murphy phone call from Thomas of help. Right. I can't take them all on, and then he gets cut off, and then they go and don't find Thomas, but they find a bunch of goons, and then you know shake your head yes if they're human, no if they're not, and you know they, they turn around and look at him, and, and he's like, <laughs> and Murphy's just like tap tap <laughs> shoots him in the head because you know she's a superhero like yeah. that, e.g. So yeah. I got Listen, I was just about to give her a compliment before Ben went off on his little tangent. So, or you she actually it? came up with uh, something useful in the investigation. Uh, yeah, follow the money, and right. why didn't the attacker use magic? Right. Yeah, two good points. Yeah. And, yeah. and ultimately, the. Yeah, I mean, the magic thing is spoilers. I, I feel like I want to address it now because I feel like we're not going to remember it in... I know, we will. Well, they talk about it at the very end. Yeah, you know? yeah. Harry talks about it with... He makes a point to say it with the gatekeeper, you know? That's right. You can't do magic you can't believe in. Why did nobody... Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and uh, we're, we're about to talk about it, too, when they get back to Harry's place before going to the race. Uh, there's that. There's a little interaction with uh, Anastasia and uh, Morgan, so... But first, they're first they're at uh, first they're at, at the uh, uh, rental hall, rental well, rental well, rental place, yeah. store and save or whatever the hell. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that Murphy drops a couple of guys. They get chased through the aisles. Uh, Harry drops the key because he's an idiot, and also it's uh, dramatic and shit. And uh, while Binder has got them surrounded, Harry puts up a circle, butter style. And mm -hmm. just kind of like hedges out the demons. Uh, and then while Butters and them are negotiating back and forth. Uh, sorry, I said Butters, didn't I? Binder. Yes, Binder and them are negotiating. Binder's got a rock because that's all it's going to take to bring down his circle. Because uh, he's got all of 30 seconds to explain to Murphy the entire metaphysics of circles while we're there about it being a, like a, a willful act, not just the, the creatures. Yeah. Uh, they go back and forth. Murphy's like, well, if you throw your rock, I'm going to shoot you, blah, blah, blah. They have and their he little says, well, off. these very, very creepy things with a bunch of teeth and mouths where they don't belong is going to have fun with you. Right. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. For all the squick. Uh, and then they lads. Yeah, they stall long enough for a veiled Molly to put them in an even bigger circle, therefore cutting Binder off from his goons, which is great. So mm -hmm. I love how that whole thing is basically resolved pretty much without firing a shot. And then he just goes completely like Looney Tunes at the end where he's like, he just ducks his head and charges. And it's just like, what? Well, there was the moment of like, tell me where Morgan is. And Harry says, he's behind you. I'm not falling for that. Like, no, literally he's 40 feet behind you in a wheelchair. Right. With the shotgun. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember his whole name, but it's just another one of his Ernest Amundsen Whistle. Yes, thank you. Yeah. How could you forget a name like that? Right. It's majesty. Ernest and Tin Whistle, but yeah. like I, I completely love that 
he's referred to as Binder completely up through the point, even after Harry says, I've read his file. I know his name is Binder, 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 Binder. But then, you know, Morgan refuses to <laughs> refuses right. to accept the nickname and just goes for the straight, straight, uh, straight mom, mom name calling out the uh, full yeah. three names. Harry says, like, oh, well, it's even more Binder or something, right? He's like, it's even more that. with wizards, so yeah, knowing his full name gives him power, right? And that's true. That's true. Name. I didn't so, pick that up. Yeah. I, th I thought it was just the I picked it was just the character thing where I was like, "Don't make me angry." Don't right. I put I brought you into this world. <laughs> I can take you out of it, even from this wheelchair. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, you know, Binder's got that added um, embarrassing thing of what his name actually is. Yeah, not right. just the wizard thing. Was like, oh, you knew my name, and it's like. Oh shit! You know my name. <laughs> um, yeah, so Murphy socks him, arrests him, and they hop into the Never Never because that's never a bad idea. It, right. And this this is actually where they have the conversation about the leaf. Yes. Uh, because you know he starts playing through like they're both like, how the hell did Binder find you? There's just Morgan no is insistent that it's Thomas that's the traitor, right. but they didn't actually find the exact unit as molly points out so it can't be thomas he would have told them right also it can't be thomas because thomas isn't a bad guy and then harry's like so you still got that leaf pendant he's like of course and then harry's like bye and just throws it <laughs> off into the creepy woods <laughs> <laughs> and After then gets in that dig of well it wasn't a donut <laughs> right well i just yeah i just love the whole like why dresden is like oh because they're tracking you he's like oh I didn't even think of that. I must be getting senile, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, the whole like, well, it wasn't a donut as he barely keeps from giggling. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and in this whole scene, Morgan and Harry are arguing with each other yes. loudly. And Molly's the one with a head screwed on straight. It's like, maybe we shouldn't do this here. Right. In the heart of winter, in the never, yeah. never. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't you guys always telling me that it's dangerous and stuff? Well, she should know, right? She's been in the Never Never before. Obviously. And so should they. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, A lot too, more. I don't know why she's... She, uh, I guess she's just being I know, that no, but she I sounds know. so uncertain in that part. And she she, should, she was kidnapped, right? By Spooky Spook. Right. Really? Is that the technical term? Yes. Yes. Spooky Spook number eight. Yeah. Okay, stop flashing your gang signs, seriously. Uh, so from here, they actually don't, they do go back to Dresden's apartment yeah, first. Yeah, because they had to figure out that uh, a PI had to have been following them because right. that's why they wouldn't be able to know what unit it was in. They go back to the home, but they pick up uh, donuts on the way because Morgan kept talking about donuts. Right, right. It's his fault. Yeah, it's more his fault. But yeah. I have the metabolism of youth. Yeah, I'm invincible for another year or two. That's the right. book, is it? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. This this I moment. Just forgot, I just forgot that part because they, there's a part with energy drinks or something. Yeah, that's some changes. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah so Harry Harry uh, summons up Tutu with the power of donuts uh, and doesn't have to run this time, and they basically pull one over on the. Uh, on the private investigator. So Toot Toot manages to find the window, the building's in, uh, Harry gives him a plan. We kind of fast forward, we don't get the montage, so it's gonna work this time. 
Um, so when Harry goes out there, basically points to the window and then points down here, you know, come talk to me type of thing. The curtains ruffle. The guy runs out of his out of the building to the car, which has had the tires deflated, the battery disconnected, the gum in the in the keyholes, like just everything. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny too because like after they're in the car and he's like, well, turn on the AC, it's fucking hot, you know, and, and it, the car won't start. He's like, oh right, the battery, and it's like you've disabled this car four different ways. It's like, holy crap, did you think he was a wizard and he was going to somehow get away? Like the gum was enough, uh, let alone yeah. the tires, let alone the battery, you know. So. Yeah, the tires were enough. That was pretty much it. Even if you can get into the car, tires, you ain't going anywhere, or you shouldn't go anywhere. Yeah, I was like, theoretically, he could have, but he wouldn't have because he loved that car. Mercedes, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> so you get a nice touching moment. Harry talks to the private investigator and then comes back and he's like, shit, he had morals. And Molly's like, hold on, I got this. <laughs> I, have, I have boobs. <laughs> right. And cold beer. So. Yeah. And it has that awkward moment of wriggling out of her bra, keeping her shirt on, and then she walks out and Morgan's like, damn. Right. I'm not I'm dead. old, I'm not ready. Yeah. Definitely creepy. Yeah, creepy Uncle Morgan for that one. So at least he waited until she was gone. Right. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. Molly, of course, comes back with the uh the phone number and mm -hmm. uh the business card, which leads them to the lawyer's place, which then leads them to the rates, but First, first the lawyer, kind of fun, you know, yeah. classic Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, she's just all uptight businesswoman, whatever, but then Madeline presumably got to her, so. Well, Please, someone, I didn't figure out it was Madeline yet. Oh, sorry, spoilers, you know. Yeah, yeah he's got to look at her head first. Right. Yeah. yeah, so, and then you get another, like, wizardy moment with him, you know, using her name and you know, will and whatever like that and kind kind of breaks her out of it but you can kind of tell she's going to be screwed up for a while because yeah. they did but a he was really fun like with someone as uptight as she is and he's like hi cuddles right and like you're gonna smudge your desk <laughs> right honestly so it's funny i gotta rewind because the security guard right it's dr white <laughs> i didn't go to eight years of insult college we called mr Right. But but literally like the scene from when he walks in the doors to the to the thing all the way to the end was like such just a great scene overall, um, you know, because he uh, talking to the secretary and he's like, oh, hey, is so and so in? And it's like and I could tell that she was by the by the uh, sour face that she made, you know, or whatever. So he just storms into her office and just stands there until she looks at him the whole. Yeah, you're going to smudge your desk. Uh, and then being like, you know, I demand you tell me the thing. And then just, she's like, can't breathe. And he's like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, like if I had known that, I wouldn't have come in here so hard, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, just just the whole thing and having some compassion, putting her to sleep and then being like, well, she's fucked, but I got what I needed. Hey, so, hey, hey. Sorry. And then when he yeah. leaves, he snaps his staff back to him and the security guard falls out of his chair. Yeah. Right. right. Which is yeah. kind of a stock moment. It's almost like out of a joke, but it plays so well because it came from such a such a, a a high moment of tension and you know this dark stuff happened to this poor woman and right. he's obviously mad it's not even played as a joke it's almost just it's just an amusing thing that happens to kind right. of ease the tension a bit right well it's just 
dark brooding wizard mad. Let's go talk yeah. now. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> right, right, right. Then they go home and get to bizarre tableau number two. Right. So this one's the sword at the throat and the dog on the Lucio, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think this is where he's like, for crying out loud, goes yeah. and gets broke. Right. No, I don't know. That's the third one. This one is like, uh, I would ask what the hell happened, uh, except the only one here with any sense uh, who witnessed it can't actually talk. Right. Yep. And have you people ever thought of talking about your problems? And Mouse goes, like, eh. Oh, I know who this is coming that, from, that right? Is where, that, is, that is where he goes and gets the coke. Yes, right. this, he gets a coke to deal with this ridiculous situation. Right. Molly was sneaking up on, well, let's see. Molly, yeah, Molly was going to get Lucio, the sneaking up ones later. She was, because Lucio pretty much like barged in and yeah. Molly was going to do something and Morgan, of course, was going to stop her and yeah. Lucio well, was going to shoot Morgan because, you know. So, <laughs> and Lucio makes a crack about Molly being 40 pounds heavier than her. Bitch, yeah, not I just saying that. And also like eight inches taller, if I think, so that makes sense. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, Molly is tall for. Yeah, she's like six foot at least. Molly and Lucio like had a passing like acquaintance at least since, you know. Well, they met. Yeah, but like since 30 monkey sex, she's probably coming around once in a while. Right, but she's still the captain of the wardens, and Molly was right to be suspicious of like whatever Lucio's going to do, it's probably going to be bad for Morgan and therefore Harry and therefore Molly. Right. Molly's just usually respectful to, you know, her elders. Are you Is she really? When? Yeah. The way, the way she, she talks. The perfect look. The way she talks, like, to, like, grown-ups is usually respectful. Unless when she's, like, she's in mom. trouble. Yeah. No. Are yes, you when Murphy calls her, when Murphy's like about to arrest her in White Knight because she came into the crime scene when she wasn't supposed to, then she gets it. She's a Catholic schoolgirl who's been rebelling since like death masks. Oh, please. Exactly. Oh, literally. <laughs> no, literally. I mean, like, they have to talk about like yeah, handcuffs when she's 14. You're telling me she's respectful to adults? And Harry's called her out on her obs you know, obstinate. She should be like, respectful to Lucio. Book. She's best girl. Okay, I, mean, I get that you're twisted and that Lucio's like the best person in the series for you, but no. It's really going to suck when she does everybody. So. When Lucio goes bye-bye in this next book, it's really going to hit Andrea's heart. Dude, I, I, Jacob, as a beta reader, you're not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I would never be a beta reader. I do not have the patience yeah. to sit there and just read one chapter at a time. I, I would go insane. What are you talking shut? about? You said that we cannot do an episode about the new book for like two months because you're going to take your time. I was going to say sitting there. I can't wait like a chapter at a time. No, that's what I'm saying. I can't I can't read a book like that. I can't just like sit there and wait and then, oh, okay, now here's another chapter. Oh, here's another chapter. I, I don't read like that. But I will take my time with the book because we've been waiting so many years and I don't want it to be like, oh, I just rushed through this in a week. Because so you can do it if you impose it on yourself, but not if someone else imposes it on you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, then no, that's it's totally different. Uh, no, I can't because then I would be also restricted from talking about things. Then I would be restricted from writing about things, and it's just dull to me. P.S. Uh, 
EG does not speak on behalf of all the hosts, I would totally be a beta reader. Just I, would not, have, I, would, have that control. <laughs> I would not be able to keep my mouth shut. I would not be a beta reader for this series. I'd be a beta reader for... Okay, I, for the good of the team, I will go. Okay, <laughs> so, okay, so, uh, okay so next thing that happens... Well, so as Morgan is saying, we need to bind and gag and blindfold Molly, and Harry says she's already been a beer calendar model today. How about no? <laughs> um, and then they had the, the more of a spat, but Morgan realizes that Lucio and Harry were involved, and Harry's like, "That's not a tear." Morgan doesn't cry. That's not possible. Oh, right. Well, it wasn't just that though; it was also that Lucio thought Morgan might have actually done it. Right. That's true. So, that is another thing. Yeah. Like it's it's the it's the twofer, and then she's like, "Well, not like on your own will, but still, <laughs> like." You know. Morgan is as hurt as Andreas currently is about the fact that they're not together. <laughs> well played. That was good. <laughs> we'll get them a large pillowcase for next Christmas. They just worked. They worked. Like, like his wife. And uh, I get oh, you. I mean, it, it was great, which is why it's great that he ruined it so well. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah that, that, uh, that look of just perfect defeat is, I think, one of the main through lines of this particular book in the series is the uh despite all this phenomenal power wizards are still human you know there's still there's still human limitations of uh recognition and cognition and uh emotional bonds and uh i mean that's that's how that's how the we just talked about the uh, the detective was played up you know the young lady coming in without a bra on you know he right. gets a little manipulated yeah he's he's got his principles he's a hard case but he can still be massaged into doing you know, something else. Uh, and then, of course, massage, the that's what you're going to go with? Sorry. Anyway. Oh, he would have loved the massage from Molly at that point. Uh, adjusted, bent a little. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever you want to say. Manipulated. Okay. Let's no, move. no. Let's just. <laughs> I have become undone. <laughs> Morgan unsheathed his sword. <laughs> start a very bad fan fiction. So, yes, wizards get manipulated. They they aren't infallible, obviously. You know, don't tell them that. Right, it's bad for the image. Wizards know everything. That's what Lara. That's in, in the next part where they go to Lara, and he's like, oh no, oh no, at the end when they're on the island, it's like, oh, you're creepers of greats, grits and knowledge, like playing <laughs> up to their vanity. Right. Morgan gets his feelings hurt. Lucio yeah. and Dresden go to House Wraith. We yeah. got to wrap this up because we're coming up on an hour and a half already anyway. So we the book in half for a reason anyway. But It's a uh, good thing we're not doing the whole book. Right. Oh. So uh, Harry's idea of diplomacy is a gun in one hand and a sandwich in the other. That's the American idea of diplomacy. Okay, he's an fair. Red-blooded American. Because he's not kissing <laughs> Right. <laughs> Did you bring a sandwich? Well, it would kidding. probably it would probably be a beer, not a sandwich, if it was the American way. All right. Fair, fair enough. So Harry goes in there all bluster and like, you know, pretending he knows more than he does. And then, you know, Anastasia's like, hey, did you notice the, all the new plaster where the anti-personnel mines are? And he's like, oh, hmm. That yeah, we're fine. <laughs> so, and those are totally not coming back in like two minutes. Uh, <laughs> So they bluster their way past the guard into um, Laura's office, basically. 
they verbally spar there for a little bit. I don't remember. Did they say anything important other than the fact that he finds out that Lara doesn't know? That uh, he knows? So Lara is basically doing her defensive needling and brings up Lucio's past. And then oh, right. in the, uh, Harry brings up, give me back Thomas. And Lara's like, what did you do with my brother? And then she stops uh, and notices that the skinwalker is attacking. Right. She kind of does the cat thing, right? Where mm -hmm. she notices something's up and then the lights went out, you know, yeah. like, uh, and then the screaming. Um, so, which is another fantastic cinematic, you know, moment where basically, you know, like the skinwalkers coming through walls and the roof and Laura pulls guns out of who knows where. And, you know, like yeah, she, she, she does the wall paneling, wall. right? Yeah, yeah. She, she punches through the wall paneling, pulls it off. Uh, you know, starts getting her guns going and everything like that. Her sisters show up out of, out of nowhere. Like, now that I'm thinking about it even more, like, I could see the same kind of cinematics as, like, Underworld, right? Where you've got the vampires running around kicking ass and the skinwalker doing its thing. And then, you know, Harry basically falls with Lucio. The, the skinwalker pulls the floor out from under him. Yeah, so right? actually, I think it was a little bit different... Uh... The skinwalker attacked him a little bit in Lara's office. Justine gets slashed across the abdomen. Lucio gets a collarbone broken. And as they're thinking what to do next, the floor goes under them and uh, skinwalker pulls him through. Right. And then basically it runs around the corner, fights a bunch of muggle guards. They get annihilated, right? They, they One guy like shows up, does the roadrunner thing, like shoots at him, meet beeps around the corner. They set off the anti-personnel mines. And then, you know, in all the cacophony and everything and Harry walking past like down guards and whatever, they see like one guard survived. And he's like, oh man, that lucky mother. No one's that lucky. <laughs> you know, uh, Laura, walk it, watch out. You know, because basically the, the skinwalker had taken the guise of one of the guards and played it off as like, oh, all I got was a broken arm. Um, so yeah. pretty crazy. This, I think Harry picks up a concussion. Um, and then you see the uh, Wraith sisters attempt to fight the Skinwalker and get little pieces of them bitten off. Right. He's just nibbling on one while they're negotiating. Yeah. You know? So total evil moment. Really cool, you know, and terrible. But, but you know, because it's just like, uh, is she going to be able to grow that back later? That seems permanent, you know. So. Right. Um, and then the Skinwalker is interesting when he talks to Lara because he addresses the phage demon right. that is only half of Lara, and it considers the human portion of it all to just be a rotting bag of flesh. Right. Case in point where he ate one of her fingers while talking. Little phage. That was perfect. Yeah, that is terrifying. <laughs> right. I might do some dungeon mastering once in a while. <laughs> it shows. And this is when it reveals that it took Thomas and proves it with the pentacle necklace. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then scene. Pretty much. I mean, you get you get the cleanup afterwards. Like the, yeah. the next chapter is them arguing about things and whatever. And uh, Laura is like, you know, take this fool to go be eaten by Juliet. And this fool is going to be eaten by Stacy. And this fool is going to be eaten by... And Harry's like, excuse me? <laughs> really? Mortals standing right here, you know? Like, yeah, but they have broken backs. They know too much. And we need to feed in order to survive, especially the one who had a finger broken off, probably. No, that was Lara. She was fine. 
Yeah. I mean, she got her meal. Don't get me wrong. But, but yeah, she had her meal. Uh, she she took only the guy that was you know he just most... was casually eating her finger while he was talking, <laughs> mocking her. Right. And there was the attempt of Lara basically trying to recruit Dresden uh, as a partner, but she would of course also feed on him um, and said that she can give him surcease so he doesn't have to deal with the stress of everything anymore. And right. when he needs that, he would go to her eventually. Oh, She's no. just trying to lay that down. No, I was wrong. He didn't eat Lara's finger. He ate one of the unconscious ones. Yeah, it was like or, um, Tasha or something. One of the irrelevant Lara. Right. Sisters. Yeah, they totally, super important. They come back uh, later, you know. Every other named Wraith has either died or been inconsequential. Yeah, there's, they're about as important as the library, just saying. So, totally coming back in peace talks. Yeah, yeah probably. That library is, you know, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not, <laughs> no, it's road. fine. I can't do it. This, this is just my one thing because it was like one of those things where I'm like, hey, wait a minute, what about this? And then all we got from Jim was like, what library? <laughs> <laughs> What? So I I don't think it's ever coming back. I just like to put in there that it was so obviously set up and then dropped. Like so, yep. It's like wait, there was a library. Yeah. Which number book did that show up in? That was six. Like a, that was Blood Rights, and it, okay. Thomas says he has a library that no one's allowed into. That now, of course, Lara has control of, and. Uh, thinking that Papa Wraith has connections with the Outsiders, and now that Lara probably has that connection, and blah, blah, blah. I'm right. thinking like, it was still grown as a writer at this time. It might have been something where he was working from that infamous outline of 20 books plus an apocalyptic trilogy still, and that was one of the things he had to work in, rather than integrating it more holistically. I wonder if, I wonder if that, I wonder if it's still coming back. It might still come back. I have hope that the library is coming back. I think it's coming back, if only as a footnote, but it'll come back. I think it's coming back in the sense that it's going to be like Bell in Beauty and the Beast, and he's going to open the doors and be like, here's my library, you can have it, and nothing's going to be in it but erotica. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I not so to weird. get off of that crazy train, I was going to say he's when Harry goes back in time, he goes back to book seven, burns it to the ground, and that's why it's never mentioned again. <laughs> time loop closed. Boop. Done. <laughs> imagine, imagine if time travelers had to do that when they close the time loop. I personally really like the idea of the Calvin and Hobbes thing was not where he expected because of time traveling Harry. I love that idea. That's a, uh, one thing I thought of. There's an, as we all know, because of publishing schedules, the books world is a couple years off from our present day, right? And what if that all gets fixed and retconned? In Mirror Mirror, in the time travel shenanigans. Harry's gone, but he comes back at a later time, which no. means that he misses Molly for like <laughs> six years. Or it's a parallel universe, it's not time travel. Or, well, yeah, but uh, Mirror Mirror includes like include time travel, I say. That's what I say. Okay. So you're wrong. And, and, or, and. Or, or uh, he changes the timeline and the, you know, he goes back, and then it happens to be up to date and he has to get used to. You know, more modern smartphones being around, or whatever it is. You know, you say that like to... you say that like the book time is, you know, ninety nine. It's like twenty fourteen. Yeah. Still, yeah, yeah still twenty eleven. Right. No, so, but there's good. there's what if there's a six year time skip at some point, not just between the BAT and the end of the series, but somewhere in the middle of the series to fix it. 
But why? Well, the time jumps will be I, a perfect time to I think it's going to be easier that, I mean, you could do the time jump after the main series and then do the BAT. I don't think it's going to be like, and then, you know, that's case file 20 because tomorrow is the apocalypse. You know, like I, I imagine I you could do, do some that. old man, you know, Harry nonsense with the BAT where it's like, it's been 20 fucking years. And after all this time, it finally came, whatever. No, so, it won't be 20, but I could, yeah, no, I could see by the time book 20, because book 20 is going to be a Denarian book. So, Someone or something is going to die in that. That's big, and I can yeah, see yeah. there being a little break in between. You know, like by this point, the BAT starts. Maggie's like sixteen or whatever it'll be. You know, it's been a year since or two since anything's happened, and then his first case, Faith Astor walks in the door, and now we're all dead. Right, right. Harry actually dies in the very first book of the BAT, and uh, it you know what? Maggie is a viewpoint of character. Uh, that fine, bold. I'm okay. With I, I, I'd read it. <laughs> If if I called it just now, I want no. this time stamped. I want this. No, no, you didn't. You didn't call it, but I would read it. Yeah, sure. There's a difference. I mean, Harry's Harry's gonna win. He's gonna be. The Actually, murder. I would enjoy it more if Harry died and then Elaine took over just to piss everyone off and think she's evil. Right, right, right. Because she's well, also a starborn. Right. So she can handle things too. Okay. I, anyway, I, I so are we? Are we good? Is this? No, we got good. through half the book in an hour and a half, so <laughs> I'm confident in our decision to split And it's it not up. like the second half of the book has a bunch of stuff in it or anything. <laughs> it's way more streamlined than the first half. Yeah, nothing, nothing happens. It's not like it has the best one-on-one -on -one fight in the series or any oh, other nonsense. But... Three parts. What do you say? What do you say? No, we're not doing three parts. It's the best no, book honestly, in it. it just, yeah, I'm like... It, it feels, if we're going to keep it to an hour, it feels like it's going to be three parts, or it's at least going to be the no, two. No, we're just going to run for an hour and 20 minutes because someone didn't keep time again, and then we'll be done. <laughs> no, I, it's because you guys kept filling in the minutia and being like, but don't forget about the chopsticks at zero. And it's like, oh, come on. We're already 40 minutes into this, man. That was you. <laughs> You're both pretty. You were the chopsticks one. No, she brought up the chopsticks. Oh. The director was very excited about the chopsticks. So They're great hair. It's delicious. Also, they were great for hair. Sure. Hey, chopsticks are you using occasions. Thank you all for listening to the Dresden Files podcast. Oh, that is the the episode's over. Right. Check out uh, other podcasts on the same network. Hooray. Great Scott doing The Office. Uh, High Fantasy doing nothing, but we got an archive. <laughs> Uh, uh, Sim Talk doing actually an extremely professional presentation of uh, simulations in the professional and/or business world. Awesome. Highly recommended with uh, industry professionals on there and uh, lots of other stuff. Check out Broken Jars. That something XYZ. Oh my XYZ. goodness! <laughs> what a what a great advertisement! That.